Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, Ben, enough of the basketball talk, please. <laughs> Shut it down. You know what's funny about that, ladies and gentlemen? It was Mr. Dr. D, not a doctor, who initiated the bat. I'm just saying, he initiated the basketball talk. Well, you just know, saying. listeners, you don't know that, if that's true or not. So it's my word against his. He started it, all right? <laughs> it's true. Your Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show for Wednesday, August 11th. is just moments away. Hey, what's going on, Frank? Uh, but before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. The Chicago Federation of Labor, longtime sponsors. Thank you so much. SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana are sponsors. The Chicago Teachers Union and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know. The city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com. Subscribe, why don't you? And if you want to help out this program, you can. You can become a binhead. Chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. By the way, uh, I've been meaning to mention this and I always forget. We're over 1 million downloads. That is correct. It's been that way for a couple of weeks now. Woo! Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Over 1 yeah. million downloads, the Ben Jarofsky show. Go check it out. Download the program if you're listening on the live stream. Help support the show. Subscribe, all that good stuff. All right, the Ben Jarofsky show starts now. It is Wednesday, August 11th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is the show that's been downloaded over a million times, The Ben Jarofsky Show. Here's to a million more. Today on the program, Chicago reader, well, I mean, sorry, longtime Chicago journalist, oh boy, do a million and you get rusty. <laughs> Monroe Anderson. And Bob Fioretti. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Obama Party Wednesday. And here's why. As all of you undoubtedly know, over the weekend, Barack Obama threw a big 60th birthday bash for himself at his mansion in Martha's Vineyard. And ever since then. I've been getting grief from my friends of the MAGA persuasion along the lines of, hey, Ben, what about your little favorite president? Hey, Ben, what about your former Mr. Wear a Mask and Get a Vaccination president? He's holding a super spreader event. Why don't you have anything to say about that? And then on the other hand, <laughs> I hear from my friends of the We Love Barack persuasion, and don't you dare say anything bad about him along the lines of this. Don't you dare say anything about bad about Barack Obama. We've got a lot of friends like that, D. How dare you say anything? My wife, as I've said many times, is a, ha a hairdresser, and many of her customers fall in the category of don't you dare say anything about Barack Obama. But you know, D, 
as a host of a podcast, a podcast that even though it's based in my attic and your apartment still has over a million downloads. How did that happen? God I don't know. You. I don't know, but it's awesome. <laughs> it is really awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Over a million for some old hippie in an attic. I hadn't even thought about that D, but that is pretty amazing. <laughs> How, but by the way, did you see the picture that uh, Kenny D put on his, uh, I'm really on a tangent with it. Oh, that bathroom. Oh my God. It's hilarious. I got to bring Kenny D back just to discuss the picture. He took of the bathroom at park district bathroom i'm not quite sure where it was i'm forgetting it's i think it's along the lakefront somewhere but the toilets are lined up there's no dividers or <laughs> that's funny i was just thought i'm like yeah looks like a shitty bathroom cool oh my god it's horrible folks they just got one to- there's no divider or anything it's like six toilets just yeah you're just gonna sit next to the guy how you doing <laughs> how's it going <laughs> Oh, my God, that was funny. Ken Davis put it out there. And then one of his friends. There's always a friend. This is so Chicago, ladies. I'm on a tangent with a tangent. Just indulge me for a There's always someone in Chicago who will have the explanation. Well, I think they took the stalls down because uh, junkies were uh, shooting up there. No, I doubt that very. I doubt very much that there was any rhyme or reason behind the Park District decision not to put like barriers between whatever chicagoans chicagoans are always trying to bail out their leaders and give the uh, the explanation for their leaders ben be fair where was i oh yes i was on a tangent within a tangent barack obama threw a big 60th uh, birthday party bash for himself this weekend in martha's vineyard and everybody says i have to take a stand because when you host a podcast you got to take a stand so the time has come for me to take a stand. Take a stand. Take a stand. Yeah. You know who doesn't have to take a stand on any of this? A certain man we call the doctor. Yeah. I'm looking at the show logo here. Um, <laughs> nowhere does it say Dennis. So, yeah. In the old days, when we were in the studio. He'd go, I'm looking at that big sign on the wall. No more sign on the wall. Or, I think it's, or when we had a banner for the show. Yeah. Uh, hey, yeah. uh, my, or not, I'm sorry, a billboard. Like, uh, hey, my face isn't on that billboard, buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those, that was a long time ago. I'll get that face down from that billboard. <laughs> so before I get started, let me say this. Stand I will take is not, and I repeat, not a byproduct of the fact that I was not invited to Barack Obama's 60th birthday party. That is simply not true and falls in the category of fake news. Well, it is true that I was not invited to Barack Obama's birthday party, but that's not the reason why I'm critical of Barack Obama's birthday party. In fact, I'd like to point this out. The closest I've come to getting invited to Barack Obama's birthday party is I was invited to Peter Cunningham's concert. Word of explanation. Peter P.C. Cunningham is a speechwriter and political strategist who used to do PR for Mayor Daley and Mayor Rahm, at least informally. And as such, if you ever heard anything remotely intelligent come out of the mouths of Daly and or Rom, it was probably written by Peter Cunningham. One of Peter's roles was to deal with lefty malcontents like yours truly. So, for instance, if I send in a request for comment to somebody in the Daly administration, chances are the following conversation would take place at City Hall. Hey, Peter, it's that hippie guy from the reader. You deal with him. And so I get a call back from Peter. Anyway, PC is having a concert, and he invited a bunch of people to his concert, sent out a mass email uh, invitation. 
only D, I don't know if I told you this, he forgot to shield the email addresses so everyone could see everyone who got invited. Uh-oh. Then he doubled down by sending a second email out that said, please destroy the first email. Oh, yeah, PC. Come on, man. You know, when you sent out that second email, it pretty much guaranteed that everyone went back to the first email. What a boomer. <laughs> to see who got invited. And that, my friends, is how I discovered that I got invited to the same party or the same concert as David Axelrod. Woo! I've made it. I'm finally somebody. Yes! (laughs) Fortunately, I'll be out of town and not be able to attend the party where I might be able to say, oh, hi, David. How are you? Hey, David, how's it going? Six feet! (laughs) Where's your mask, kid? Anyway, uh, Monroe Anderson has joined us. Uh, but getting invited to watch uh, Peter's band play music is as close as I will ever come to getting invited to Barack Obama's 60th birthday party. As to the party, come on, President Obama, what's with Martha's Vineyard? Why didn't you just have it in Chicago? Have it at Promontory Point in Hyde Park. You could brag about how, as a senator, you led the fight to save the rocks at Promontory, Promontory Point from being destroyed. Those great, beautiful, classical limestone rocks that they have along the shore of Promontory Point. Even though, as I recall, you didn't really lead that fight. It was more like you had to be dragged, kicking and screaming the whole way to take a stand against Mayor Daley, who wanted to replace the rocks with a concrete revetment and thus destroy exactly what it was about Promontory Point that makes it so lovely in the first place. In fact, There was such an uprising from activists in Hyde Park and Kenwood to save those rocks that Mayor Daley had to back off. Yes, they made one of our most powerful mayors back off. And Mayor Daley wasn't happy about having to back off. He hates to back off on anything. He contended that without replacing the rocks, the tides of Lake Michigan would erode Promontory Point and would fall into the lake. That's what Mayor Daley predicted. I think he made that prediction around 2004. It would fall into the lake. In fact, he gave a speech where he just said, you know... I don't care if it falls into the lake. Let it fall in the lake for all I care, which is such a dumb and vindictive remark that we all know there's no way Peter Cunningham could have written it. Anyway, I kept the rocks. It hasn't fallen in the lake. And that's where I believe Barack Obama should have had his party. Yes, it's obvious. The Obamas have gone Hollywood on us. To quote Joe Kim Noah, he's Hollywood as hell. Like I said, and like I've always said, Barack Obama was only in Chicago for the moment it took for him to get the hell out and never look back. <laughs> Monroe's last. We got a great show today. Monroe knows I'm telling the truth. Monroe Anderson is here. Then uh, the second half of the show, former alderman Bob Fioretti will join us. And Bob's going to talk a little bit about uh, the remap, how they remapped him out of, out of existence uh, in 2011, most likely they got enemies <laughs> lists of uh, unpopular aldermen that they'll remap out of existence. Uh, so that'll be a fun look. And we'll probably talk about some of the um, uh, Jeanette Taylor's uh, comment. My favorite. She's probably my favorite alderwoman, uh, Jeanette Taylor, from the 20th Ward. Had some really powerful statements uh, in today's Sun Times. So uh, plenty of uh, political discussion with Bob Fioretti. But let's start things off with Monroe. Monroe. Welcome yes. back to the show, young man. Uh, it's good to be back. You look very healthy and vibrant. It's all that Tai Chi and um, healthy living you've got going. Exactly. Um, 
And uh, all that reefer you smoked in the 70s. All right. Now, uh, so did you, uh, Monroe, you were laughing when I said uh, Monroe, uh, Barack Obama's going Hollywood on us, uh, that he got out of Chicago as soon as he could. He's never looked back. So I, I assume that you were not invited to Barack Obama's 60th birthday party in Martha's Vineyard. Is that correct? Uh, no, I was not, unfortunately. I've, I, haven't uh, been, I haven't been invited to one of those type of parties since um, Stedman's 45th birthday party. <laughs> that was a while ago. You got invited to that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Was I that was, back in the day when you had your TV show? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. But I tell you, it was the best party I ever been to in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it was at the Wrigley Building. Dr. J was there. Michael Jordan was there. Uh, I mean, if you celebrities, uh, uh, the OJs was the entertainment. Get out of here! They paid for the OJs. Yes, yes. As in, uh, the backstabbers OJs. Exactly, exactly. Oh they're, my they're, goodness! Right, the original, the, the original ones, because this was in the nineties. Wow! But the Wrigley, the Wrigley Building. Has a the third floor is a dance floor. I mean, it's just an empty floor, you know, where you can have balls and what have you. And so they entertained up there for that. the 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 uh, main course was filet mignon and lobster tails. It was very nice. There was a fortune hunter there. <laughs> it was. It was, it was I, I swear to you, it was the best party I've ever been to. So had 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 Obama invited me. To his party, I would have been there. Oh, I'd have gone too. That's I, like, I mean, let, 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 let. <laughs> actually, I don't know, Monroe. I if mean, I let's think one, if I've been one of his staffers who he disinvited because he has because he, he was inviting too many people, I'd be pissed off. <laughs> no, that was something else. He invited so many people, then they, they started getting uh, flack uh, from uh, MAGA America for being hypocrites for having uh, this huge party in the midst of. Which, by the way, we're going to get to COVID because MAGA is so all over the map. They only right. worry about COVID if Barack Obama's having a party. Okay, right. you know what I'm saying? Right. They never right. worry about COVID if it's like the uh, motorcyclists in South Dakota or Donnie they Trump. Only worry, they only worry about police um, if they're if, if they're beating up white people. But you know, but um, they love for the cops to have at it for black folks. Yeah, so, no, they don't worry about police uh, right. if they're uh, if white people are beating them up. Right. Uh, that's uh, but uh, anyway. So they were very critical. So Obama scaled back, and <laughs> he still managed to invite uh, Jay Jay Z and Beyonce, but he he disinvited so many of his staffers. Uh, yeah, no, Obama's gone Hollywood. Uh, Monroe, you know, let's he be also honest. was a fanboy. You know, I. Mean, he, yeah. Jay-Z, Jay-Z and Beyonce's there because, I mean, if, if, if I invited them to my house and they come, I'd, I'd be overjoyed also. The reality is, uh, if they had invited Monroe, I don't think you'd go, Monroe. I really don't. I, don't, I can't imagine you getting on the airplane, flying all the way to Martha's Vineyard and schlepping out. To, I just don't see it. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's just having you know? to pay for airfare. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure Obama wasn't paying for the airfare. Yeah, right. He's hey, he has to uh, put, stay at some hotel somewhere. Yeah, you're right. 
I yeah, you wouldn't have gone. You wouldn't have gone. Neither would I. We'd have been, the two of us would have been chicken. We'd have been yeah. afraid of COVID, and we just wouldn't have gone. All right, enough on Obama. He has gone Hollywood as hell. We all know it. And uh, let's stop pretending that he hasn't. All right, let's talk about COVID. You said something very interesting to me today, and I wrote it down. COVID is a forever pandemic. Yes. What do you mean by that? By the, well, first of all, in, in the many poor countries in the world, only 2% of the population has been vaccinated. <laughs> and so there's plenty of room for the virus to grow and for variants to develop. And they're, and they're developing, the variants are developing by the thousands each day. Uh, and so far, none has come forth uh, more deadly than the Delta. But um, given how many people there are in the world, and how few of them are vaccinated, um, that's bound to happen at some point or another. Uh, and even if we determine today that we're going to vaccinate everybody in the world, it would be uh, 2025 or something like that before we got the job done. Mm. So it's, 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 it's going to be around. It's going to be around. Uh, what, what will happen, hopefully, if we're lucky, is that um, we will vaccinate enough people where we'll just have outbreaks as we're having right now in the U.S., um, in Florida, Texas, Missouri, and Arkansas, where vaccination rates are low. But, but, but the virus will continue to evolve. And we'll see if the MAGA people um, talk about how they don't believe in evolution, that God created the earth in six days and then rested on the seventh. Well, I, I have to say uh, what you just pointed out uh, is uh, a paradox. So there's desperation in many uh, third world countries where they don't have enough vaccine. Here we have the United States, a, fa- a fabulously wealthy country. Of course, it's mostly uh, concentrated at the top where there are enough vaccines and people are not taking it. They don't want to take it. And I am struggling. There are people dying literally to get it in in, in these poor countries. And we got these uh, mega idiots here who are uh, not taking the vaccination, not getting the vaccination because they should be free to spread the disease and die if they want to. Well, you know, I I didn't tell you about this, but this has been on my mind. It's deeper than, uh, MAGA. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of the comedian D.L. Hewlett, and I follow him on Instagram. He's got a great Instagram feed. I urge everybody uh, to follow him because he's always doing updates. Uh, and he, D.L. Hewley, the comedian, uh, is very pro-vaccine and is constantly doing updates uh, tended to urge people to get the vaccination either by having doctors explaining why it's important to get it or to showing the idiocy of people who are ex- saying you shouldn't get it. And the other day he posted Monroe uh, a a blurb of two MAGA people with the red uh, hats on saying, uh, make America great again. And they were going on and on about how you don't need the vaccine. You just need uh, sunshine and uh, God's nature and God will take care of you. And he posted that. And his point was this is how ridiculous they sound. And I was surprised a good number of the people who wrote in responding to that were defending 
the the MAGA people. And right. D.L. Hewley is, a, just so our listeners don't know, he's a black man, and most of his followers are black people. And if, usually when he puts a, a MAGA person on to make fun of them, everybody gets the joke. They're making fun of MAGA. They're, you know, but this one, they're going, stop shaming them. Stop shaming these people. Just because they're wearing MAGA hats does not mean what they're saying isn't true. And I was like, oh, my God. This, these were his white followers? Or no, these were black people. These were black people responding to D.L. Hewley's uh, post. And D- so just so everyone understands, D.L. Hewley is a big proponent of getting the vaccine. He, yeah. He's constantly... Right pleading with people to get the vaccine. I mean, and so he was showing how preposterous the anti-vaxxers were by posting this. And some of his followers, black people were saying, stop shaming them just because uh, they're wearing a MAGA hat does not mean they're not right now. And I'm like, you know what? This goes to show you how deep the anti-vax sentiment has. Yeah, rooted and, itself and, and, and there's been a whole anti-vax movement that's influenced that. And then some Chinese and Russian hackers have also been putting the the, the um, b- bad information out there because it's to their interest to have us as um, dying as quickly as possible. So I mean, we're in a mess. You know, yeah. the thing is that we have two things going on right now uh, at the same time. That's climate change and COVID. And both of those should be wake-up calls. They aren't yet, but um, the optimistic part of me, which is deep inside, is in the way most of the time, but it's telling me that there are going to be enough death and suffering where we will wake up and fight both of these things. How soon, I don't know. Well, let's talk about some of the, the political ramifications uh, with what's going on. You and I both follow this stuff closely. So in Florida, uh, Ron DeSantis, a Republican, the governor, uh, and uh, in Texas, Greg Abbott, uh, the governor, also a Republican, are trying to implement laws that prohibit localities from passing things like mask mandates, requiring kids who go to school to wear masks, re- uh, trying to prohibit businesses from requiring that their patrons uh, get the sh- the vaccine before they go, let's say, on a cruise ship or before they go into the store or prevent businesses from requiring that employees get the vaccine. In other words, they're they're making proactive moves to discourage and prohibit, literally prohibit localities, local officials from taking a forceful stand against the vaccine, it's almost as though, Monroe, they're like, want to promote COVID. It's so freaking bizarre. Thanks, and Trump. This is all Trump. First of all, it's Trump because he got elected president. And what that signaled to every other freaking politician in the country is that if Trump can be president, I can be president too. So the bar has been lowered greatly. Okay, so both those guys are seeing themselves, every time they look in the mirror, they see themselves as the next re, re, uh, president. And the other part of that, of course, is if you're gonna be Trump, you gotta act like Trump. 
So they're they're um, owning the libs is one of the phrases they they like to use, and um, and they're coming up with all this crazy stuff that appeals to the MAGA crowd, um, mainly um, white evangel evangel evangelistic evangelists, yeah, evangelists, white evangelists who are on a serious white supremacy uh, ride right now. I mean, they're scared to death about the idea that within uh, 15 years or so, they're no longer going to be the majority, white people, period. And um, they, they don't like the idea that white privilege will no longer exist as they know it now. So they're trying to do everything they can to assure that white privilege will resist through white power. Well, you, we were talking about the COVID and the response of uh, MAGA governors uh, in the South a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and we were a little more optimistic saying, well, uh, with their populations threatened, they may be a little more proactive to encourage people to wear a mask uh, or get the vaccine. It seems they're going in the opposite direction, yes, even though some, some have, some haven't. Um, the uh, governor of let's see, Alabama, I Alabama, think yeah, yeah. He's 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 she. had a uh, she no yeah she has had a change in mind, and she's now like saying anybody who who is. Uh, not getting the vaccination is responsible for all of this. And, and then, um, God, what's his name? There's, there's another um, governor in the South, and he says that he, he was wrong to um, promote um, not masking. In, in Arkansas, Hutchinson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Hutchinson, right, mm-hmm. Hutchinson. And the other thing is that vaccinations have gone up in those areas where people are going to the hospitals, but you, you have DeSantis just being absolutely crazy. And and, yeah. Yeah. He's doubling down on crazy. Right. uh, And he's clearly decided that his political future is linked to being as absolutely crazy as he can possibly be on this matter of great health. Uh, And Monroe, I have to have confidence that this country, this this gets back to the conversations that we would have uh, in the lead up to the November election. I I just cannot believe I would say this before COVID. I remember saying this in 2019. We saw all the outrageous behavior of Donald Trump. Right. Uh, and, and Donald Trump was saying, it doesn't matter what I do. The stock market's roaring. Uh, there's jobs creation. And I'd go, I got to believe a majority of the voters in this country, even with that crazy electoral map, do not want this kind of tone and tenor in politics, this kind of uh, vindictiveness. And I have to be confident that they will vote him out. Then, of course... <laughs> COVID came in and we'll never really know like how much responsibility the out, what correlation between the, uh, the way Trump will hand Trump handed COVID, uh, and getting ousted had, we really will never know that, but I, here we are, here we are a year, a couple of years later. And I'm saying the same thing. I cannot believe majority of people in this country will, um, second, you know, uh, what DeSantis is doing 
will uh, second what Greg Abbott is doing in Texas. I cannot believe that uh, that they would endorse this kind of policy. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, no, they're 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 wearing out their welcome. You know, it's a time period, but Trump is fading. He's losing his. He's losing slowly but surely. He's losing his powers. Yeah, that's why we have the infrastructure um, first step to it done with nineteen um, Republican senators going along with it. Uh, although he told them not to do it, and if they did do it, then um, he would he would primary them. And he, 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 even Mitt said, okay, have at it. <laughs> we'll see how powerful, who's powerful here. So it's, it's changing, you know, but it's, it's a process. Um, but, but, but you see the evolution going on with um, some Republicans. And the more that comes out, the interesting thing with Trump is the more that comes out about how he actually details on how he tried to steal the election. How he, had, he tried to have a coup using the Department of Justice as his, 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 his main um, go-to. Um, the more that comes out, uh, when when his, his his taxes are reported, you know all the horrible things that you and I know Trump has been doing over this time, and deep deep down inside their heart, the MAGA people know this too, but they but they want to believe differently because they want white power. Then um, what DeSantis is betting on is that. Trump will be made null and void, and that um, the, the MAGA people will take Trump light instead. I see. Is. They'll turn to him. Uh, well, uh, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, Trump. Uh, before, uh, before we move on to Cuomo, uh, we're not going to let Cuomo off the hook today. But it, before we get to Cuomo, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, still trying to uh, be relevant, uh, even though he doesn't have his uh, Twitter uh, feed anymore. Uh, weighed in when the, about the women's soccer team. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, the women's soccer team, the American uh, women's soccer team, uh, took the bronze. I want to say in the Olympics, they lost a crucial game before they got to the finals. Uh, and um, so Trump uh, had one of his uh, aides use her Twitter feed to post a message for Trump denouncing and mocking the women's soccer team uh, and said that the woke teams, yeah, a bunch of losers and let's hope they're replaced by Patriots. And I'll tell you what, man, I, I, he has taken this so far beyond anything, you know, uh, that Nixon or I'm trying to think of George Wallace even went this far in our lifetime. No, you're just absolutely hating any vestige of the left so that you're rooting against the USA and sporting events. Usually that was like sports was the one area. Well, I remember when Tommy Smith and John Carlos raised their fists, a lot of politicians denounced them as well. So right. uh, it, it wasn't, but I don't recall a politician openly chortling about 
you know, uh, them lose. Although now, in the, you know what? The more I say it, I think back. There are a lot of people, Monroe, when we were uh, in our teens, rooted against Muhammad Ali. They wanted him to lose. Right. And it, they were for anybody who was fighting Muhammad Ali. Exactly. Uh, so I guess uh, Donald Trump is carrying on uh, a tradition. I just talked myself out of this one. Uh, he's carrying on a tradition of insanity on the right that's existed our whole life. You well, know? you know, the thing is, the one constant through American history for 401 years is racism. So whenever it was a black person doing anything, then uh, there would be a sizable number of white people that were against it just because it was black. You know, uh, Lena Horne was in movies back in the 40s, and they could, when the movies was being played in the South, they would take her scenes out because they didn't even want to show a black, attractive black woman like that in, in, in whatever role. And it was a major role. It wasn't like she was playing um, um, Scarlett O'Hare in, um, in, in Gone with the Wind, you know, this black woman saying to, saying to Clark Gable. You know. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like that. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just... But what's happened, especially, I mean, if you watch the TV and everything, what's happened in the past couple of years is black people are once again in vogue, and we're everywhere. You know, we're, we're, um, when the Olympics was going on and they first opened, three out of the four top black people on the air at NBC, I mean, three or four top commentators were black. Mm. And that had never happened. And nobody yeah. even commented on it. It was just like, oh, this is who we like. Yeah. A lot of crossing over. Yeah, no, uh, clearly, uh, clearly this country is split. You're absolutely correct. Uh, and unfortunately, the way the map's working through uh, gerrymandering, uh, the people who are really resistant to the kind of change you're talking about have way more power than you deserve. We got uh, Alderman, uh, former Alderman Bob Fear ready, ready to come on. And uh, Monroe and I will hold off on our conversation on infrastructure and uh, uh, Cuomo and um, the budget process. Uh, so we bring uh, Bob in uh, on the conversation. We're, so we're going to take a break and we return. Monroe Anderson will be with me and uh, Alderman, former Alderman Bob Fioretti will join us. So we'll be right back after this. If there's anybody who understands remapping in the city of Chicago, Monroe, it's uh, Robert Fioretti since they remapped him out of existence the last time. But uh, his uh, absence gives us a chance to uh, pick up the conversation. Uh, as I said, we would. Uh, Andrew Cuomo had to step down as governor. He announced uh, that he was going to step down officially in 14 days. He gave a speech uh, yesterday, Monroe, that was straight out of the Richard Nixon playbook. I don't know if you had a chance to see the speech. Oh, I watched it. And uh, one of the most cynical speeches I've ever seen. This is a guy who 11 different women have come forth to say uh, that he sexually harassed them. Uh, it was an investigation conducted uh, by the attorney general of the state of New York, a Democrat, 
Uh, he was perhaps the most powerful person in the state of New York, or at least the most powerful Democrat in the state of New York. And somehow or other, he's now positioning this as a political witch hunt. He didn't say witch hunt, but he said it's all politics. Right. Uh, as though he's being victimized by these powerful forces. Take it. It's Richard Nixon meets Donald Trump. Very bizarre. You know, you know the thing that amazed me about it was I didn't realize how much Trump Cuomo had in him, but he was he he he, he was he was a vindictive like Trump. He he didn't ex- he he's sort of kind of almost accepted some responsibility, but not really. You know, it's it's um, I mean it's just amazing to me. I mean. And he, he wasn't anything approaching a class act. And the reason he is out of there and may get impeached yet is because he is a real asshole. <laughs> you know, I mean, if he had been a nice guy, they'd have given him a pass of some sort. You know, they, they might still ask him to leave, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, they, you know, there are people that sharp, uh, sharpen their knives and looking for his back right now. Yeah, no, he's very vindictive. He's been vindictive, vindictive as hell. Uh, I made fun of myself the other day because there was a brief moment, Monroe, uh, at the height of the pandemic, where I was impressed by his uh, daily press conferences. Uh, and I may have said something really stupid, like, you should run for president. Right. Andrew Cuomo. Over, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> really embarrassed about that. <laughs> Back in your Biden denial days. <laughs> yeah, you remember, man. I can't. I can't lie. You know, it exists. I don't know if anybody will go. <laughs> don't even bother, ladies. I'm gonna go finding it because I admit that I said it. It was the pandemic. Uh, but I never. I. Uh, he did, but he did do it. He, he did. He was doing a great performance back yes. then. Yeah, but we now great. know as he performed. Um, he was jacking around with the deaths in the senior citizen homes. He was writing his book, which he hoped to be a bestseller with the help of his staff and our taxpayer money. <laughs> he's doing all sort of Trumpy, sleazebaggy things. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, it, and it, was, it, it was strange because there was a natural inclination uh, to compare and contrast Cuomo and DeSantis, Cuomo from New York, the blue right. state, DeSantis from Florida, the red state. Right. And how are they doing? And at one point, Cuomo was up and DeSantis was down and then DeSantis was up and Cuomo was down. And now they're both down. And yeah, uh, they're both jerks <laughs> and neither one of them should be in office. So. <laughs> One down, one to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so true. So true. Uh, anyway, I apologize to everybody <laughs> for my comments from about a year ago. Again, I blame it all on the pandemic and all. Yes, I was going through that anti-Biden phase. Yeah. Let me just say this. Uh, he <laughs> Biden. Oh, God, I hate having to admit this to Monroe, but (laughs) Biden is really uh, showing he's pretty adept at this game. And it's very frustrating for me as a lefty because it's taking far longer than I want. So, for instance, uh, they cut a deal with the Republicans with the uh, infrastructure bill. We talked about that uh, briefly already. And they got, uh, what, nine Republicans to sign on, something like that. I forget how many Republicans signed on, 19, I guess. Uh, I, I actually think, as Monroe was alluding, it's Mitch McConnell allowing the Republicans, p- pulling pulling a, a playbook out of the Mike 
Michael uh, Madigan playbook, uh, putting a play out of the Michael Madigan playbook, where you allow your Democrats to make the votes that they need in order to, uh, or excuse me, you allow your caucus members to make the votes they need uh, to help them in their next election. And uh, I hope Democrats don't actually believe that there's a new spirit of cooperation coming from Republicans. I really hope Democrats no, aren't that think, dumb. I don't, I don't think they do. I don't know for sure, but I don't think they do. Um, my personal perspective on this is that Mitch um, let this go through because the bigger bill, the one that the, 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 the human infrastructure bill, which his corporate bosses don't want to see go through. Um, because they let this go through, then they can claim that they were, were bipartisan and that the Democrats, the evil Democrats, uh, are going to destroy everything. I, 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 I think we're in a chess game here, but we'll see. I really do. So do you think it was right for uh, Biden to get to do uh, the infrastructure bill as a bipartisan bill, as opposed to having a larger infrastructure bill forced through by Democratic votes? Oh, it's, it's, it's the, 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 we're, we're in the first quarter, Mr. Basketball. <laughs> so you can't say what's happened. Um, Biden initially said that he had to have them both. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't sign one without the other. And uh, that was a gaffe, or in Washington, known is known as telling the truth. Which he <laughs> and so he had to back up on that and apologize. Oh no, no, no! We want one, and then we'll do the other. <laughs> so, but the, Nancy has said she's not going to even do the second um, installment bill, and uh, the first one until the second one is done. And so they're there right now. There they really do have the um, by, um, Bernie point of view of we got to have both. And the Republicans are saying that if you try to uh, ram the second infrastructure bill mm-hmm. down, uh, they're going to walk on the first one. But I don't think they can do that because it's way too popular. And Biden, very there's there's a bridge between um, Kentucky and see the Illinois or Missouri. I forget mm-hmm. what, but there's a bridge that both both states want, and because it will improve things greatly. Mm-hmm. And, and um, Mitch, and, um, he wants it too. Yeah. So they're not going to mess with part one. Yeah, the, the uh, hardcore infrastructure bill it's the human they don't republicans don't care about the the only humans they care about are the ones that are corporations yeah they uh but they i I don't know how they're going to get out of this dennis before we uh go any further is bob fioretti with us yet ladies and gentlemen breaking news joining us on the phone mr bob fioretti (laughs) hey i'm here how are you i'm doing well bob can you hear me okay i can hear you fine can you hear me all right Yes, you sound uh, well, and uh, with us is uh, the legendary journalist uh, Monroe Anderson. He's here as well. Uh, Eugene Sawyer's uh, former press secretary. That may be how you know him, Bob, from back in the day. And um, so we were talking national politics, but as long as I have you on the phone, 
Uh, let's do some uh, local politics. And uh, Monroe, I've known Bob Fioretti from the moment he first ran for alderman. Uh, and Bob, I've let the cat out of the bag. You're no longer an alderman, but you were a great source to me on TIFF stories down through the years. So uh, you stuck yeah. your neck out by giving me inside documents. There, I let I really let the cat out of the bag. You, you don't probably remember that, do you, Bob? Giving me those documents. Uh, I told you the truth. So to look at things and what we were all looking at. And, and I think, you know, if we're going to have an open and transparent government, uh, we need to get the word out as much as we can. And uh, uh, the Daily and Rom era was somewhat, uh, they didn't trust the people. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. All right. Uh, and uh, so I wrote, I mentioned Bob's name in passing Monroe in a column about uh, uh, redistricting reapportionment in the uh, Chicago city council. And it's my opinion that in 2011, when the city redid the maps uh, as they're required to do after census, redrawing the, uh, the wards, the 50 wards of uh, in the city so that each ward has essentially a roughly the same amount of people. Uh, one of the uh, politicians they did in and they intentionally did him in by redrawing his district. So he no longer even lived in his ward was uh, this man, Robert Fioretti. They went after you, uh, Bob Fioretti. I've always believed that. Do you agree with my assessment that the powers that be in the city, Rahm Emanuel and uh, the uh, the leader, uh, Burke and Mel, et cetera, in the city council were going after you? Well, I, you know, at the, yes, I do believe that. They, uh, you know, they wanted, they, they encouraged me, move to one of the other wards, move to the second ward up on the north side. It's good real estate. I'm like, I'm scratching my head. I've lived in my home for uh, that time, 15, 16 years, and I'm, I'm not moving for any politician. So that's that's how it happened. I spoke out on the issues. I raised issues with facts. Um, I voted against budgets that uh, didn't have enough police, and I voted against budgets that didn't uh, help our mental health centers and uh, supply our mental health centers. You mentioned voting against budgets that didn't have enough police. Uh, that's a huge topic right now uh, uh, in our town. Uh, sort of the ideological divide in this city over whether we should hire more police, put them in the budget, or use some of the monies that uh, we spend on police for other things like mental health. What's your position on this, Bob? Well, I think we need both. Uh, but I believe, you know, I raised the issue of, of having a bike patrols. Uh, I raised the issue of cleaning up our communities. I raised the issue of safety and having an officer friendly and not, uh, and, and dealing with hiring, training, discipline, uh, retraining of officers and their own mental health. And, and when Ron closed the mental health clinics in this city, that was really the beginning, beginning, uh, of more problems that we face here in our city. Uh, we need both. Uh, there is a balance at some point, but we, we do have a lesser population. We can't have police being in some of our communities looking as if they are occupied forces, but we need mental health for across the board, especially this COVID has raised issues. You know, I serve on several committees, both in the Chicago Bar Association and the Illinois State Bar. I'm elected official in, uh, in both of them, and I serve on the committees. But I, I see the mental health issues of lawyers, 
one third of the profession or anywhere from 25 to a third of our profession, uh, it, it has substance abuse problems. You know, if it's in that kind of a profession, it's all across the board. We need to reach out, have the right kind of mental health facilities for all of our people across this city. All right, uh, I'm going to uh, get into this a little more, but I, want, I don't want to lose completely track of the award uh, redistricting issue. Bob, they went after you in 2011. Who do you think the powers would be in this city when they draw up the map uh, this time around? Which aldermen do you think will be most vulnerable and who are probably going to be the ones that uh, the mayor and uh, the leading forces in the city council are rewrite out of existence? Well, 10 years uh, later, it's a lot different. Uh, Ron controlled the uh, remap. He, he was sure of who did what and how. Uh, and he u- used his people like Burke, uh, Mel, uh, Solis to uh, deal with, uh, and Pat O'Connor to deal with what was going on. Um, and to make sure the ward map was what his liking. Uh, at that same time, I had offered a ward map, which was a little bit smaller than wards, but they were compact, contiguous, and they, they expressed communities of interest. Uh, we could have, we almost had the votes. We did have the votes, but on the morning of the, uh, when the uh, remap came down and nobody knew what was what, uh, and they all voted for it, we had two additional votes that backed out. Uh, we, it would have gone to the people to decide. Now, under this current map, there is no strong political leader. Everybody's everybody's been at war with each other, and if they're not at war with each other, they're at war with the mayor. So there is no real uh, political de- uh, deciding force on how these maps are going to be um, adjudicated. Uh, we see, though, the Hispanic caucus is pretty strong. They know what they want. Uh, the, the black caucus is sort of there. They don't have enough of their folks all in line because they know they lost 250,000 uh, folks since uh, uh, the turn of this century and 20 years ago. And uh, so they have to grapple with that problem and how they're going to place it. Um, and uh, I think all the remaining white folks are all divided up. They don't know which way they want to go and who's who on their side. So there are a lot of mysteries behind this map on who it's who can shout the, the loudest will be retained in that office. And when I say that, that means they've got to, you know, reach out, develop coalitions and keep what they want. I'm seeing uh, I do know right now that some people are saying, I don't want this portion of my ward because they vote against me. I've got this portion is uh, a changing population. I don't want that. So there is some solidarity of what we're seeing in some of the wards. Uh, and who's going to be a cut out? People, maybe people like Ray Lopez. Uh, he's always a you know constant critic of uh, a lot of the forces that are out there. So, uh, you know, it's, it's up in the air. Let me just put it that way. All right. Uh, he mentioned uh, the... Uh, Factions in the city council at war with each other. And that uh, moment uh, for me to raise this new issue in Monroe, I'd like to bring you in and get your thoughts on this as well. I talked about this at length yesterday, uh, Bob and Monroe, uh, in the um, in the aftermath of the shooting of uh, Officer uh, Ella French. She was shot on uh, Saturday. Um, Alderman Anthony Napolitano, 
of the uh, 41st Ward, who is probably the only Republican in the city council. I don't know if he uh, identified, literally identifies a Republican, but he adores Jeannie Ives uh, in the gubernatorial race, Monroe smiling. So that pretty much makes you a Republican if you adores Jeannie Ives. He's either closeted or open, one or the other. <laughs> I mean, that's like going out there, Bob Fioretti. You know, you can't really pretend you're not a Republican after you've endorsed Genie Ives. Right. Absolutely. Uh, All right. So uh, anyway, so in the aftermath of uh, Officer French's uh, murder, uh, Napolitano gave a quote to the Sun-Times where he said, and I'm reading this quote, Monroe and Bob, quote, uh, this blood is on their hands. And he's talking about the Democratic Socialist in the city council, the real lefty alderman in the city council. This blood is on their hands without a doubt. They are the ones who created this whole anti-police movement that has made these brazen acts of violence against police officers possible. These pieces of shit are the ones that created this and talk anti-police. This is what Napolitano said about his uh, colleagues in the Chicago City Council. It took about a day. Uh, but Jeanette Taylor responded. Jeanette Taylor, Autumn Woman of the 20th Ward, good friend of this show, frequent guest on this show. Uh, and this is what she said uh, in response, again, talking to the Sun-Times, quote, who are the socialists and the progressive aldermen in the City Council? They're black and brown. Napolitano's racist all day long for saying some crap like that. And quote, Taylor said her ward in Napolitano's are a quote, tale of two cities. She challenged him to see for himself by making a temporary move from the far northwest side ward to her impoverished south side ward. He wouldn't last a week, she said, quote, try trying on this black skin. Walk around and be me for a day. I dare Napolitano to say the blood is on our hands. No, the blood is on the people who pulled the trigger. End of quote. Bob Fioretti. First, we'll go to you, and then we'll go to Monroe. Your thoughts about this exchange in the Sun-Times? Well, first of all, I thought there should have been a calming effect. Everybody rushed to get onto the news, uh, whether it was local, uh, the papers, or some of these uh, uh, national networks. And I was like, hey, all the people, settle down. You know, where have you been all this time? I've raised the issue of violence in our streets for a long time. Every time in the city council, I'd walk past, it didn't matter whether it was a black alderman, white alderman, Hispanic alderman, saying, Bob, you're the only one that can raise those issues. Like, where has everybody been? You know, and, and uh, I'd like to see, you know, I, I have to say she's right. She is right. It, it, it's not the socialist in the, in the city council that caused this. Uh, there is a feeling, hey, We've had a long history of uh, issues affecting the police department, going back to Ralph Metcalf and his reports in 1968 and 69 here in our Congress city. So, uh, you know, it's time to look, and and I have said it over and over again, and we have never had leadership at the top, whether it's in the fifth floor or in the superintendent of police. Uh, it's time to have the right, again, the right kind of training, hiring, discipline, and supervision. Uh, I mean, the police officers, hey, these young kids on the street, here they are. I mean, they arrive on scenes 
Uh, I mean, uh, them and the paramedics that arrive on these scenes uh, were the bloodbath that they see sometimes of, of you name it, of what's happening. It's not like in the movies where the people get shot up and then uh, walk away or something. This is serious stuff. It affects them mentally, and they feel it too. So I, I do, my hands go out to, uh, and I pray for our first responders, our police and fire and uh, paraprofessionals that are out there. Um, and at the same time, here's uh, Alderperson Taylor. She's got one of the worst blocks in the city of Chicago uh, down there, right off, I think it's on Cottage or so, right off of the uh, 65th Street. She's got a, her hands full on what's happening there. We've uh, we haven't put enough. Look, I brought 8,000 jobs to my ward. I had the far west side, parts of the south side uh, going into Bronzeville. And we made sure we had community uh, agreements so they would hire from our community, make sure that people had jobs. And you know what? We give them education, we give them opportunities, and we can cut this violence. When I had a kid killed at training, uh, I began, and I was the, you know, the one who started Operation Safe Passage. We had parents, pastors, uh, who were all helping to make sure, uh, and police, that we got our kids to school. We put social services in there. Crime dropped. We, we created uh, fun games for them. Uh, we had, and I, I hate to use the term midnight basketball, but we had, we had the kids out there. We, we created uh, systems out there so they can enjoy them. I, I had summer programs that I found that were out there. I had hired 40 kids one summer. I, I had to pay their supervisors out of my own pocket, but we did a lot of things with these kids who were from low income areas. They qualified, uh, they got a significant amount of pay for their 20 hours a week. And that's what we need to do right now. So it's a, it's a I don't know where, uh, I think part of the other uh, comment that Napolitano said was it was 550% sure that this was because of, uh, of the so-called socialists. Well, yeah. that's what laid everybody. We are all, we've got to work together to solve this problem. This weekend, well, by, when we hit by, this weekend, we'll have 2,800 people shot in this city this year alone. Now, let's think about that. If the war in Iraq was producing those numbers, the outrage of bring our troops home would be overwhelming. But at the same time, I don't see it because, uh, what's happening. And, and people in the Politano's ward ought to realize one thing. If, they're all, if they all got good jobs and they can pound their chest and say, it ain't my problem, well, I got to tell you, yes, it is. The first 30 minutes in an emergency room for a shock uh, gun victim uh, uh, is about $50,000. Who pays for it? You do. If you're worried about our taxes going up, then you better start thinking about finding solutions to the violence in this city, period. Monroe, your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that the socialists, didn't turn people anti-police. Uh, it was the police killing unarmed black men. Um, the McDonald case is what did it. It wasn't socialists. The socialists, the, the socialists, whatever they had to say would have fallen on deaf ears if the police were in the black community 
to protect it, and that is an occupying force. Um, if cops were um, just um, continuously shooting and killing unarmed black men, this is across the country. So you, this anti-police mood that exists right now exists for a reason, and it has nothing to do with socialists. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. And uh, first of all, I mean, obviously I have a bias here because I'm a big fan of Jeanette Taylor, so everybody knows that. I'm not a huge fan of uh, Anthony Napolitano. Everybody knows that. Uh, but uh, Fioretti was right on target when he said, just calm down in the, in the aftermath, just to th- immediately throw uh, that kind of bile at your colleagues in the Chicago City Council was over the top. Uh, and, uh, and Jeanette Taylor just, just doesn't back down Bob Fioretti and Monroe. She's just, um, she's not going to take that kind of, uh, punch, uh, from a verbal punch from Napolitano and that line she gave Monroe about just try to be in my community. Well, how did she put it? She said, um, try trying on this black skin, walk around and be me for a day. And I just thought that was a powerful comeback uh, from Jeanette Taylor. I can't recall any alderman ever saying anything remotely like that. Go well, ahead. you know, the thing that um, privileged whites, whether in Chicago or any place else in the country, don't seem to factor in is that in communities like Jeanette, you have young black men who have to worry about the police and gangbangers. Mm. And many of them, don't expect to live to be 21. And so if you don't, you have no expectations, no hopes, then you don't care. And you see that acting out day in and day out. Yeah. I I gotta tell you, I agree. Look, I ran for Alderman on one, one reason. I read in the Tribune, it may have been in 05 or 06, uh, that six out of every 100 African-American kids go to uh, make it through to college. I live on a block, a half a block away from one of the best schools in the city and probably in the nation, Whitney Young. I can I get to my street, I look to, uh, down the other way, and I, it take, it's a six-minute walk for me to get to Crane, one of the more challenged urban schools that we have in the city. And you know what? Uh, until we find ways to bring education to our communities, to start investing in communities the right way, uh, and to give people jobs, to give them an opportunity to advance, then we are going to be forever in this sinkhole that we are today. Right. Bob, you've been saying that for a while. Monroe's been saying it for a while. And I look at what goes down in this city and how we spend our money, and you know we're not spending it for the things that you just said we need. And part of the reason you gave me those documents way back when about the TIFs was to illustrate that point, that so much of our dollars are being wasted on uh, high-end developments and gentrifying neighborhoods. And, and, and what? And I, I shifted money to schools, all the schools. I had more schools than any other alderman, and every school got some benefit from that to make sure that our kids got the right, that had clean buildings, air conditioning, uh, a right kind of environment to be in. You know, we looked at it, and if you want to and I hear even some of, some of the people that are in some of these wards, well, we lost them all already. No, we haven't. 
If you give up on any of our young people, then we've given up on everything in this city. And I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep fighting for our kids and, and make uh, sure that they have good education. They can get at least a living wage at best. Well, the, the frustrating thing for uh, an old timer like me is to, to know, and I know Monroe agrees with what I'm saying. The prescriptions haven't changed. What, what we, the, we know what we need to do and we don't do it. Right. And Monroe and I were talking about this last week, Bob, because we were reminiscing about that pivotal moment in Chicago history uh, where it seemed like it seemed like Chicago might actually address the inequities that plagued this city. And that was when Harold was the mayor and then Harold died. And then there was a division in the black community. You know all about it. You were not an alderman at the time, Bob Fioretti, but you're a student of Chicago politics. So you know this as well as Monroe and I. And as a result of that division, Mayor Daley was elected mayor, and he held that office for 20 years, and then he handed it off to Rahm. And all those inequities just multiplied. And all everything well, these – go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. And I've been saying this for about 25 years. Mayor Daly was trying to turn Chicago into Paris. I went to Paris in the mid-'90s, and Paris is a very middle-class city with all the poor people living in the suburbs, mm-hmm. ringed by these, and they're mainly immigrants, you know, Arabs and Africans and what have you. But the, the poor people are not in the city, they're in the suburbs. Yeah. And this is what Daly has been trying to do, We've tried to do over that time period, and Rom followed, and that was to send poor black people to um, Gary, or, or some other black suburb yeah. and um, bring in middle class and richer white people into yeah. the city. And so they don't want midnight basketball or anything else that's going to keep those poor black folks around. They want to get rid of them. Yeah. yeah. And Bob, you know this because uh, you had an aide. I can't it was she helped me out, too. <laughs> I'm letting all the cats out of the bag. We took a look at all the school closing in the second ward uh, that took place. And there were so many schools. As the population fell uh, in, in the black neighborhoods on the near west side, schools got closed. And the near south side as well. And then uh, as white people moved in, guess what? They built a new school. We, we documented this in a story I did back. It was, it's almost 10 years ago. So some, sometimes, Bob, I, I feel as though the city of Chicago knows what it has to do, and it does just the opposite. Your thoughts? It hasn't learned its lesson. And our political leaders, who every, uh, all 50 of them, plus the mayor and uh, the treasurer and the clerk, are all recruiting themselves. They keep doing it over and over. And the divisions become uh, farther apart. And the name calling that we see here. I went to one city council meeting uh, uh, post my aldermanic days. And it was I wanted to hear what Ron wanted to say about the pensions. It was on, uh, I believe it was in, on December 12th of his fi- uh, final year. And everybody already was at F you to this person, this screw that one, screw this one. And I'm like, holy mackerel, what's going on among the feeling of everybody who's an alderman there? So, you know, it's time to, that we have to work together. Uh, and this is, this is, uh, at this point, people don't want to come to the city. 
People are moving out uh, left and right out of this city, and we are losing strength and hope. And, and these leaders that we have there don't have a vision, and they don't have hope for the city. And that's what we need in our next mayor and in our aldermen who are in there now. All right, Bob, for your fear ready. Monroe, before we leave, I got to get your uh, final thoughts on uh, reconciliation. We were going to talk about it, and uh, uh, we took a break, and I didn't uh, uh, get your final thoughts on it. Uh, this is going back to the national, we'll close with national, and see if Bob, for ready, is following the national politics. Uh, Bernie Sanders, I'm very happy to say, Bernie Sanders. I, uh, I, I, I like seeing a Bernie bro happy for it. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, you, ready? My heart. <laughs> you gotta know monroe and i have been uh, debating the the merits of bernie sanders for a long time i'm a very pro bernie sanders guy bob fioretti as you come as no surprise you have voted for him in 2016 and i voted for him in 2020 in the democratic primary and then of course mm-hmm. i turned around and voted for the democratic nominee because i'm right. basically a democrat but I was reading a Washington Post uh, article about uh, the budget reconciliation bill uh, that just passed the Senate, or it's the it's like the first step, and it's a budget right. bill, three point five trillion tr trillion dollar budget uh, reconciliation bill, party line vote fifty to forty nine. The Dems held. This is just the first step. And they said it was chiefly written by Bernie Sanders. And so, uh, and it has universal pre-K in it, uh, new family uh, leave uh, measures and uh, tax hikes on the wealthy to pay for it. So it's sort of the, um, what people like me have been calling on for a long time. And uh, so Monroe, we're going to close with you making a prediction. We talked a little bit about this, but let's close with a prediction. Do you think the Dems will hold on this? Do you think they'll stick together to pass this reconciliation bill? Or do you worry that uh, cinema and mansion will peel off uh, and the whole thing will fall apart? Go ahead. Uh, They're going to hold on this. They they will hold on, on this one. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll have to wait and see on uh, the, the human reconciliation bill. This is the this is this this is the the um, steel and mortar uh, reconciliation. Well, not reconciliation infrastructure. Bill. Mm-hmm. A reconciliation. The Dems are going to have to go on by themselves yeah. and. If I were being a betting man, I'd say that Cinema and Mansion will be with the Democrats before it's over. At All some right. point, the president's going to call them in and have a hard, hard talk to them with them. You know, right now he's he's letting them have their their way, but at some point he's going to have to call them in. Bob, for well, you were a Democratic committeeman for a while. Do you think the Dems will hold on this? Uh, I think the Senate will. Um, I don't know what the House will do. Uh, they're, they're, these, uh, when they get to elected office, they want to stay in there, and they're gonna, they're polling right now on what to do. And polling has become a big issue. And uh, instead of feeling out to do the right thing, uh, they do the immediate thing. And so, uh, see what happens in the House. A long way to go. 
Yeah, it is. As I said, uh, that's a good point. Uh, the uh, progressives in the House have already said they want to uh, they want to compensate for some of the cuts in the infrastructure bill on the reconciliation bill. So, yes, it is a uh, it will be a fascinating process. Uh, and it's razor thin Bob Fioretti and Monroe Anderson. This is not like Mayor Rahm City Council or Mayor Daly City Council. We got 48 aldermen lined up, you know, yeah. <laughs> Pelosi, Pelosi is very good. I mean, she's brilliant. You got to give her credit. So I think she will she will handle her caucus. Monroe, I have gotten so much heat from my beloved lefties because I give her too much credit. (laughs) So uh, anyway. All right. uh, Bob Fioretti, thank you so much for joining us. I, I appreciate you taking the time. All right. You got it. Have a great weekend. All right, very good. That's uh, former Alderman Bob Friarity. And, of course, Monroe Anderson is here every Wednesday. Thank you very much, Monroe, uh, for doing a great job, as you always do. And, uh, of course, let's thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy in Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Monroe and Nancy Pelosi will tell you, back home in Alton, they call, they call him <laughs> Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. 